0: What started as an innocent little ditty became a much longer... What started as an innocent little ditty became a much larger, universe-spanning, genre-defining... Nope. Jesus. My writing is terrible.
1: (laughs) It's that rum, man.
0: You gotta (laughs) cut it with some Coca-Cola. I'm really only doing this podcast as an excuse to drink in my basement. (laughs) Imagine you were one of your country's most renowned comic book creators, and at the top of your game, one of the biggest companies in the land asked you to make them a custom comic. Inspired to pay some bills, you took the gig, sitting down for a small commission piece of commercial work, and then your shit just went off the rails. Welcome to Quarantine Comics. I'm Roman Segel. And I'm Ryan Joe. And for a hot minute, or 20, we're revisiting the latter works of some past creators discussed on the pod. Whoa, are these filler episodes? No. So look, that scenario I just painted about the corporate marketing comic gone awry, that's pretty much the secret origin story about this week's book, The World of Edina* by French comic superstar Mobius, who you might remember from a past episode. In 1990, the French car manufacturer Citroen? Citroen! commissioned Mobius to create a short piece to celebrate a thing for a marketing campaign. What started as an innocent little ditty became a much larger, universe-spanning, genre-defying epic, After two androgynous space buddy pilots find an abandoned space station, crash land on a barren planet, drive around in an antique car. Product placement. The pair soon find a mysterious space pyramid surrounded by a coterie of wave-fallen, farren, alien species. One of them merges with said space pyramid, as one does, and transports everyone, Noah's Ark style, to a paradise city. Someone transformed into another space shape in this comic? I I sense a, a motif. Well, look. This space city, paradise planet, if you will, it's called Adina. So the original duo start eating the local fruit. Their hormones start a raging and they get hot
1: and they get separated because one of the androgynous people punches the other androgynous person out.
0: They're not androgynous at this point. They're pretty hot. And soon they encounter a weird societal evolution of their long evolved fellow travelers. We're talking some Beneath the Planet of the Apes style weird ass shit featuring full body or medically sealed outfits. With trunks and eventually psychic dragons and clones, of course. There were some Garden of Eden references and a veiled commentary on our society's increasingly repressed, sterile nature. And you've got a corporate marketing client deliverable pretty far off. Brief. You had me at French marketing campaign. Oh man. So Ryan, you actually turned me on to Mobius with the Inkle uh, a few weeks ago, and in classic procrastination form, I sought out some more of his work and just wanted to do an episode about this because this book is the one Mobius book everyone mentions. So it was published right after he passed away. So how did you encounter this book and what did you think? I actually didn't know about it until Dark Horse said they were
1: going to put together the Mobius Library and World of Adino was the first volume in the library that they've compiled. And to date, I actually think it's the best one because it's the one that actually tells like a full story that really kind of showcases his art. So I, I thought I kind of hit all of the things I love about Mobius. It's a story that doesn't even seem to to go. When he starts off, he doesn't really have a plan. It's sort of like in that beginning when they're in that car and they just kind of drive off. And initially it's just an ad campaign, but then he decides to just play with it and take it to some really, really weird places. So kind of like the Inkle, it has that sort of madcap feeling where Mobius is just making it up as he goes along. You go with the flow and he wants to take you to some really, really strange
0: and exotic places. But the thing about this one is, unlike The Inkle, which was written by someone else, I mean, and this one does go batshit crazy and off the rails many times, but there felt like there was more of a narrative. Like with The Inkle, you were like, rummin', turn your brain off, try not to think about it too much. And I I didn't, and it was hard. But this one, I did kind of just go with it, but I felt like the plot, as batshit crazy as it was, progressed. Like every chapter and movement with the characters, I I became more and more invested with the characters. I, I just, I like this better than the Inkle. I don't know if I'm going to get shot for saying that, but I don't know. No, I think that's totally
1: valid. And so there's a progression of the characters. From the beginning, when they're these two androgynous space people, it's really kind of hard to tell them apart. And then later on, once they crash land, or once they enter the world of Edina, and they start to assume these Adam and Eve roles, and one person grows breasts, the other person starts to take on more male characteristics, and there's a progression of their personalities for a time as they kind of progress through this World as they're split up, and then one character needs to find the other one. So I see what you're saying about there being a progression. Whereas in The Inkle, right, you have John DeFool, who's the main character, and he doesn't really change that much. I mean, he does sometimes, but it seems almost arbitrary. Whereas here, it does definitely feel more like an evolution. I actually kind of miss some of the humor. In The ankle, and then some of the dark sense of humor, the irreverence. When we talked about The ankle, we talked about that weird mission to impregnate the queen, and then, as you said, put the queen's children to bed after she gives birth. It's just very strange and unusual, and I kind of missed some of that. It, I, I felt like the world of Adina didn't quite have that sense of humor, but that's more of a personal thing. It's not as madcap. Yeah, it's definitely not as madcap, and actually, at times, it, it almost kind of felt sort of biblical. I mean, the world of Adina, the fact that these two characters develop sexual characteristics and really start to resemble Adam and Eve. But I also hesitate to read too much into that because I don't think, you know, in his introduction, Mobius said, my stories don't have a key. There's no codex where you can interpret what I'm trying to, 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 to say. And it wouldn't surprise me if Mobius didn't actually know
0: what he was Saying Like the Inkle, this has a very improv nature to it. And I usually I'm the one who says I don't want to see shit adapted. But between this and the Inkle, right, the Inkle, you can lift a lot of concepts and ideas and put it into sci fi. But as I was reading the world of Adina, even as it gets weirder and weirder as the story progresses, I was like, oh, okay, this is an HBO series by the Wachowski brothers and sisters i could latch on to this one more
1: well so what was it that you know and i'm not saying like one's better than the other it's really just a matter of personal preference
0: i think i mean the art is stunning the environments are so immersive one thing about the artist it's the same artist but i yeah. think because in the inkle it was the artist working with the writer and with this one it was an artist's or creator singular vision yes. and again maybe you didn't truly have it mapped out but it was simpler like i mean His art is beautiful. I was more convinced of, oh my God, how great of an artist this guy is to see his versatility as the story gets crazier and crazier and kind of shifts gears over and over again. But the less is more. There are moments of complete insanity where every panel is packed, but I felt like I was being paced. I felt like the simplicity was beautiful. There were just pages where I would stop and marvel, not because there was a million things on the page to take in, like the Inkle, but just a beautiful moment. Like, there's this one really absurd moment of where she's just, like, standing in the woods and these weird sci-fi people are approaching her from behind. And it's just this beautiful scene of the weirdness, the primitiveness. It could have been, like, the X-Men and the Savage Land, right? But, yeah, the simplicity of the art, or the, the simplicity of the story as a whole, just kind of pulled me in. It was more accessible to me, versus me having to consciously turn my brain off all the time versus trying to figure out what's going on like i did with the Inkle. i kind of have a theory on that and i don't know if it's true
1: if you look at mobius's really early work like arzak which was published i think in like in like are we gonna have to read a mobius book every season (laughs) you know what i'd be down with that but arzak is so short It's, it's it's mostly just four page strips but they're incredibly elaborately illustrated just the amount of cross hatching in detail that he puts in it's still it's, it's in color also i wonder that as he gets older he probably has less to prove because when you're first starting out you really want to make a splash you really want to showcase all of your yeah. talents when you get older it's just like ah fuck it you learn to pare things down you learn what your strengths are you learn what you really need
0: to incorporate and
1: this is really him at the peak of his abilities
0: one thing i learned ryan was this book it wasn't like a one and done over two years like the first thing he did for strong in the 90s and the subsequent chapters came out year after year after year it's probably over a decade or two that this book came out i think
1: oh i did not know that
0: you have been doing your research well, I read the foreword. I don't know, man. I'm fascinated by this artist. When I found out that he died in 2012, Look, I was never going to meet the guy at a convention, but I was upset. I was like, I've been a comics fan for a good part of his production lifetime, right? In an indie comics fan. I was reading indie comics in the 2000s. And I just regret that I discovered him after he died. I mean, they didn't do a very good job publishing his work in English. By they,
1: I mean the giant comic publishing apparatus. The comic industrial complex. Yeah, it just wasn't easily readily available. You know, some stuff was, but they certainly didn't bend over backwards to publish his, his Omnibus. So this stuff was hard to find. But I am curious, so what specifically did you latch onto in the world of Edina? I'm kind of curious because this one seemed to really have made an impact on you versus the Inkle, you were kind of like,
0: meh. You know, so some of its expectations and some of its parallels and some of its procrastination. So let me back into that first procrastination. At some point, we're going to do an episode about Sandman, which I still haven't read. <laughs> like I'm I'm inching my way through it, but it's like the wire of comics. And I've literally I had been putting off starting it. And after our Inkle episode and our Chester Brown episode, I was so impressed with those creators that I was like, oh, let me go get their other works. I asked you, what are the other works I should get by them? So I got them and they showed up and I was like, I'd rather read this than get started on Sandman. Procrastination. (laughs) Two, the parallel that I saw, I don't know if I'm going to mispronounce his name, Osama Tezuka. He is the creator of Astro Boy. He's a manga artist. And later on in life, he became a devout Buddhist. And I have the complete works of his buddha series from Buddha being a little boy to an old man and this is gonna sound weird there's something about older people that i appreciate people who have seen and done and, and the next book we're going to talk about same thing they've been through a lot they've experienced a lot and it's not that they're passing on their wisdom they're passing on their interpretations of the world In a very concise, I don't have to prove anything sort of way. And that sentiment is really what I latched onto. Again, is it beautiful? Absolutely. Do I feel like I'm reading French comics? Absolutely. Are the people beautiful? Are the characters wacky? The scenery wacky? Yeah. This was just so much more accessible, like on a philosophical level and on a literal level for me. How did you get that vibe? The vibe of mature
1: Mobius? Like what were you seeing in the comic that made you feel like this is mobius when he has nothing else to prove and he's been through everything and this is the work that
0: he really wants to do it's sweeping but it's effortless i think that's what it was again this reads like obviously there's parallels to paradise lost there's parallels to i don't know uh, some other batshit crazy shit but he just did it with such an ease and when someone can do something so well in whatever sport that they make it look easy to me that's where you're at the top of your game and not just from a skill perspective but you know what you want you know what you're here to do. And again, I'm not going to lie. Did it stick the landing? I'm not sure. It got really weird towards the end, but I powered through it. And one thing I really appreciated about this collective volume is in between every chapter, because as I said, the chapters kind of were published in different eras of his life. They give kind of give you the cliff notes or the, uh, the executive summary of what was happening with the different parts of the book and his life. So I just felt more connected to the artist reading this. I don't know. I mean, what? Ryan, you haven't shit on the book yet. What's going on? Are you okay?
1: <laughs> I mean, it's, it's the same with the Inkle, right? I, I feel like you have to throw out some of your typical conventions around storytelling and character development in order to appreciate anything that Mobius does. In a way, his storytelling defies a lot of the conventions of traditional narrative storytelling. And so, yeah, for me, what, what I look for when I pick up a Mobius book is, am I swept away? Do I feel like I'm part of this world? And for the world of Edina, I still sometimes think about the environments that he takes us to, from when they first land in the world of Edina, and they're in that apple orchard, to the blue lion that shows up, to the underground city. Where everybody's wearing these strange gas masks. They've got that sort of expressionless thing that you have when you, when you wear a mask. But it didn't have that sort of same vibe to me as gothic horror and yeah. supernatural thing happening. This is more like, man, you people are friggin' weird and unusual,
0: but also unpredictable. But one of, the, one of the scariest movies I saw, I referenced it in the intro, was Beneath the Plane of the Apes. I saw it when I was a kid. I think it was the first Plane of the Apes movie I actually saw, not before the original. And that weird, subterranean, fucked up version of the culture just scared the pants off of me. And so it was so reminiscent of that when I saw it. Again, once you find out like, oh, it's just for health reasons, but it's like this perverted version of society. How far can we go? Because originally, the place they come from is a very sterile existence. And you only start to discover that once they land I'm like, oh my God, we don't have the medicines being fed to us. Are we going to eat this apple? Is it going to kill us? And then when you discover the people underground went back to the roots of that society and hermetically sealed themselves off from everything, they went even further. It just is like it didn't hit too close to home. It was just like this weird nightmare that they were in.
1: To me, once they go underground, it's opened up the entire book to some really weird looking places. Because before he's wandering outside, he's in the forest, then he's in the desert. Once he goes underground, though, it it almost becomes a dreamscape, especially towards the end when suddenly he's in what looks to be a very, very modern setting where he's kind of in very conventional suit and tie, and then everything starts to get... Really weird again. It gives Bobius a lot of leeway to really pull the rug out from, from under you once he takes you into that underground society.
0: Yeah, I kind of lost my way with it for a while. Oh, these star-crossed lovers, they were friends first and they found each other, they rejected each other, and they're on this quest to find each other, right? And a lot of weird shit happens in the end. But the love of Stella and Atana, it's never fully realized. And at the end, they pull the, it was just a dream or was it thing. Yeah, yeah.
1: How did you react to that? Honestly, I tried to forget it. The thing about Stella and Atana, to me it's this narrative device that just keeps us moving they're together and then they get separated and any affection she might have for him i know it's there but it's a little bit mind-boggling why she would be interested in this guy so it's one of those things you just accept that for whatever reason they have this affection for each other you don't ask why i don't understand why she would be attracted to him
0: we're the only two people on
1: this planet full of fruit well she could go find a gas mask brother they don't know they exist at
0: this point in the book
1: (laughs) well I don't know. It just seems like they have other priorities and getting laid shouldn't be necessarily one of them. Look, it didn't bother me, though, a, because, again, I'm not looking for conventional human motivation here in the world of Adina. Not in it, space drama? You don't want that? it's basically just a catalyst for the next action for the next set pieces. they're apart and now they have to get together why do they have to get together it's not something that really touched me emotionally it was something that I just accepted as the narrative and that's what drove us into these these different scenarios throughout the quest so yeah I didn't really have a strong opinion about that relationship and I don't think Mobius was trying to show really this epic love story it was again just a vehicle for him to tell the story that he wanted to tell
0: that's fair that's fair so how did you feel about the end then you just kind of eh,
1: oh, yeah oh yeah that was the other question oh i really love the scenes when he's kind of wandering through this western scenario mostly because it was this other new environment that i hadn't seen and mobius seemed to have a lot of fun drawing it but towards the end i don't think he knew how else to end it because so much weird stuff had happened at that point i think it was just it might as well be a dream and is that a good ending
0: to your point i don't think he knew how to end it he couldn't stick the landing so he just turned the lights out
1: yeah i mean sometimes you just have to do that he's like all right guys i I'm kind of done. Yeah, it needs to end somehow, and I think the ending is emblematic of that. Even the Inkle, there's this moment where the main character sees God, and then he reverses back, and literally the the last panel of the Inkle resembles the first panel of the Inkle, and there's no real reason for that to happen. I think Holderowski and Mobius just thought that was probably a nifty thing to do, and similarly with the the world of Edina. Again, I don't think he had any real idea of how to tie everything that he brought up together, but I don't think he ever had any intention of tying it all together.
0: He just wanted to tell a story.
1: He just wanted to tell whatever story. Do you ever tell your daughter a bedtime story and you just make that shit up as you go along and it just gets weird and you're just like, yeah. And then they all lived happily ever after and you need to go to bed. And that was,
0: (laughs) that was it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is only my second book of Mobius's. And is this one one of the greats? No. Is Mobius one of the greats? Yes. Have I read one of the greats by Mobius? I don't know if it exists. I just think he's really good. And this was just similar to The Inkle. It was a wild ride. And this one felt more coherent to me if it had more legs, all those things, things I could latch onto. But it's just an enjoyable book to read. And I didn't put a lot of pretension into it. Uh, unlike The Inkle, I meant to say that earlier. Like The Inkle was one of the first books you said we needed to read for this podcast. And I got it it sat on the shelf forever and we waited and we waited I like, for renewing the book at the library and we finally read it and it was built up even reading the foreword by bendis where it's like everything comes from the Inkle." like i just had such high expectations of the Inkle, and it over like two to three months of getting ready to read it during the pandemic and with this one we finished reading the Inkles like, hey, what else should I read by? You're like, Adina. I got Adina. A week later, I procrastinated. I read it. I flipped through it. I enjoyed it. This one was more of like a transactional enjoyment. I got my money's worth. Was it the best thing ever? No, but it proves to me, again, why Mobius, I think, is I'm like, I'm I am like i i do not know if this is just a thing of the year for me, but I'm really just a fan of his now. I, this guy i never heard of before this year. So I don't think Mobius has ever really been
1: paired up with a great writer. I think there are a lot of great illustrators who are like that, like Alex Toth. Wally Wood. I was reading Sandman for our future episode, and I was wondering what would Sandman be
0: like if Mobius had illustrated something? We'll never know.
1: We'll never know. But I don't think he ever really had a great writer to really put his talents towards. And I also think, though, that maybe it doesn't matter because Mobius is very much a, a visionary, and part of the beauty of his work of his stories is that it's basically his vision completely untarnished. I mean, I know Hodorowsky, he's working with Hodorowsky and like the Ingle, but for a lot of them, it's just Mobius's vision pure and simple, whether it's Blueberry, and it's his vision of an American Western, or it's the world of Edina. It's his unadulterated vision, and you are fully immersed in his brain and his imagination. And I think there's something wonderful about that. So even if it doesn't have the flawless narrative structure and the thrilling emotional component that we are used to in graphic novels. If we did have that, I feel we would actually be a little bit distant from the story that Mobius really wants to tell.
0: He'd be just a set piece. His art would just be a set piece.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so in a way, I'm, I'm glad that we have so much of his work that imperfect as it might be, it's his unadulterated vision. It's like you have been transplanted into Mobius's dream. Enjoy it.
0: So Ryan, what are we reading next week?
1: Next week, in the same vein of revisiting creators that we've already reviewed, we're going to take another look at Chester Brown. But it's going to be completely different from the surrealist vision of Ed the Happy Clown. Instead- Are there penises in it? Oh, there's so many penises, Raman. Don't you worry. I think there's only one. Because we're going to be- It's one, but many, many panels of it. We're going to be reading Paying For It, a comic strip memoir about being a John, which depicts a 10-year period in Chester Brown's life from the mid-'90s to the mid-'aughts when he decided to forego all female emotional relationships in favor of frequenting prostitutes. And uh, I don't know if he records every encounter, but he records many of them. And that's what we're going to discuss next week. We're going to discuss romance. Romance,
0: Roman. Play it on a Sunday. (laughs) And that's our show. Like what you heard? Be sure to share with a friend, subscribe, and leave us a review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. See lots of pretty pictures of the books we read at qtdcomics.com. I'm Roman Segel.
1: And I am and have always been Ryan Joe.